Uh, again, we want to welcome you to Soul City, and uh, I'm Jeannie Stevens. Uh, I'm, I'm married to Jarrett and I happen to be one of the other pastors here. And, uh, you know, most of us, we love this time of year. Uh, you're probably like me. I love Christmas. When Christmas rolls around uh, each year, when December comes, I get so giddy. I get so excited. And I think one of the things that we most love about Christmas is their traditions, right? I mean, we all have traditions that we go through and things that we love. You know, you probably have, like, your favorite Christmas movie or your favorite Christmas song. Uh, I know many people have like a favorite Christmas food or, you know, a, a favorite holiday meal that they have every year. You probably have like a favorite decoration or an ornament, you know, that maybe you've put on your tree or however else you decide to decorate each year. And, and somewhere in your garage or somewhere in your basement or like locked away in a closet, uh, right around Thanksgiving, you probably go and you get, you know, your, your nice little Tupperware. Yes, much like this. You probably get this out. And you pull out all of your decorations and, and you go through this, you know, this ritual of decorating the house and doing things. And, and so we, of course, every year we, we go through the ritual of, of, you know, digging out all of our uh, plastic bins and getting all of our decorations out. And this past year, uh, you know, it was really fun to pull them all out and our kids were excited and all that kind of stuff. And, and we pulled out one decoration that um, we got this uh, about, mm, I think it was a couple years ago from my mom. Um, she gave it to our son, Elijah, who's five now. And this was the favorite decoration that we brought out. And the reason it was the favorite decoration is because of what it's capable of doing. Uh, this is Jingle Bell Doggy. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Maybe. Yeah. Behold it's, the power. It's just awesome, this dog. And it just rocks. It goes on and on. And rocks. And on. Yeah. yeah, it's got a good no, ending here, though. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that so that would be the um, ending if our daughter didn't keep. Yeah, and so we've listened to this for the last month, multiple, 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 multiple times. And uh, yeah, it's like our kids' favorite decoration. In fact, if you would like it after the service, just yeah. come find us and we'd be I happy to sell gonna, it. It's not uh, make it back in the box yeah, yeah. Year. So, no. but, but yeah, we have these favorite things. I know, I know you have a yeah, favorite uh, tradition. Yeah. Talk about this because it's not, it's, it's my, the one I hate the most, which is, uh, which is these. Um, these are the bane of my existence. And if you can tell by my system, I have blue painters tape to hold them all together, which makes total sense. Uh, every year I, I'm tasked with the lights. And so, uh, every year the same thing happens, right? I get the box out and, and like, here's the deal. I hang them very carefully every year. Like I have a system about it, right? And I know kind of how many work, which way I wrap them up very carefully. Like I even bought like little things with cranks to wrap them up really carefully put them in the box, and the box doesn't go on a trip. It's not on, like, a cruise ship that goes around the world. It stays in the same place for 11 months. And yet every year when I pull the lights out, half of them don't work. And so then I find myself, like, swapping out lights between the other sets. And then, like, anyone else, guys, you know, it's like the little tiny fuses that you try and replace that are literally, like, you need a microscope and tweezers. It's like the game of operation, trying to get those things out, <laughs> dropping them in the snow. So then I make a run to Depot and buy 10 more strands every year. Yeah, and so we all have these boxes, we have these traditions, we have these things that we go through, and I think with all of our traditions and with all of our decorations and our boxes, I think oftentimes, uh, it, you know, the point of Christmas is not necessarily to keep things the same, although many of us like to keep things the same. The point of Christmas, the point of the story of Christmas that we just heard is actually that everything changed. 
It's not that everything stayed the same. The actual story of Christmas, everything changed after Christmas. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, time, literally how we tell time changed. Because of Christmas, we now divide it into B.C. and A.D. When you think about it, history changed because of Christmas. You know, some of the greatest works of art and some of the greatest music. You think about some of the greatest controversies and even some of the most difficult things that have happened in history. They all stem back to the person of Jesus. You think about the characters in the Christmas story. Every single thing changed for them. Last week we looked at Mary uh, and we looked at her life and and what happened to her. And And you think about her. I mean, here she was. She was engaged to be married. She had her whole future planned out for her. She was so excited. And then all of a sudden she becomes the mother of the son of God. I mean, talk about like parenting pressure, you know? I mean, that's intense. Or you think about Joseph. I mean, he had found his wife. He sort of had a plan for his life. He was gonna just, you know, be this simple carpenter, live a simple life, and and then he finds out that he's going to be a father, and it's to someone else, like there was another baby daddy involved in the situation, and the baby daddy is God, you know, so that's very, very pressure-filled, you know, but everything in Joseph's life, it changed because of this baby. One of the favorite characters I have in the story of Christmas is the shepherds, Right, because uh, they had the coolest costumes in the school plays growing up, and uh, and and I love the fact that they're ordinary people, like they're just ordinary folk that God didn't need to include in the story, uh, but He did. And in fact, He they have a very special role in the story. Uh, they're not flashy, they're not you know over the top kind of eccentric. These are ordinary salt of the earth. Um, Someone even say boring people that God used in an extraordinary way in the telling of this story where everything literally changed. And a while back, I was reflecting on this story uh, and trying to look at it from a different angle, a different lens. I've probably heard the Christmas story a thousand times in my life. And so I was reflecting on Luke chapter 2, and I I began just sort of like creatively sort of rewriting uh, the story of the shepherds because I find in their story is most like my story. They're the ones in that story that are most like me. And so I started writing out and rewriting the story. And so I wrote it all down. I actually wanted to, uh, to read it to you. This is sort of a, a retelling, uh, although I don't think I'll have as many props as we had earlier, uh, in, the, uh, in the telling of the shepherd's story. So there they were, uh, watching their flocks by night, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel appears. This is an angel. Right? This is a big deal. They don't get many celebrities out in the field. So to have an angel is a really big event. They thought for sure uh, the angel must have been lost, that he was heading to someplace much more holy than their field. Maybe he needed directions. Whatever the reason was, there was no doubting that right there in front of their faces, in the middle of their field, was an angel. And it was very real. Now, even though none of them would admit it now, the truth was that they were a little scared. I mean, angels tend to mean business. But before they could run and hide, the angel spoke. And it told them that they didn't have to be afraid, which wasn't much consolation. There wasn't any need or or any time for anything like that. It told them that if anything, they should be dancing for joy right now. Why? Well, because the day had finally come. Their ship had finally sailed in. Everything in their world had instantly changed. And they weren't even aware of it yet. 
the long-awaited Savior of the world, had come. He was here. In fact, he was right around the corner in Bethlehem. Now, the only clue that the angel gave these poor shepherds of how to find the Savior of the world was to look for a baby in a manger. That's random at best. And, and you'll be able to tell which baby in which manger because this one will be wrapped up in snuggly little towels. And there's something about an angel saying the word snuggly that threw them for a little bit. But before they could think about it, the angel was joined by countless other angels. And they were singing. Angels were singing. An army of angels were singing songs that earth had never heard before and would never hear again. It was indescribable. But within a moment, that felt like an eternity, they were gone. And the shepherds were left quietly standing, jaws dropped down to the middle of their field. Finally, one of them broke the silence and belted out, well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. And so they dropped their staffs, they jumped over their sheep, and they ran. They ran hard and fast, jumping and yelling and screaming and dreaming about the Messiah, the one that they'd heard so many stories about, the one they had waited their lifetime for, the one that generations had waited for. Could it be that he's finally here? Within moments, they were cornering the city, and as though they were led to the spot, they stopped just outside this backlot barn. Their sprint had turned into a sort of reverent tiptoe as they made their way back to the garage. And there he was, their Messiah, lying, just as the angel said, in a manger, snuggly cloths and all. Now, none of them knew what to do at first, but somewhere deep in their hearts, they did. Two of them just began crying, sobbing, weeping with joy. One of them began laughing, a holy sort of laugh that was reserved for men much larger than himself. One of them began to hug and kiss a very sweaty and exhausted Mary. And one of them, without even thinking twice, walked right over to that baby and picked it up. He held that warm little bundle of salvation like he was never going to let go. After several hours of of holding and, and playing and laughing and crying, something began to well up inside each of them. It started low within the soul, then it moved quickly to the heart, making its way out to the lungs. It was a a yell, a sort of joy and praise yell, a yell that couldn't be held in this little garage and a yell that certainly would not allow this little baby to sleep. Each of them began running out of the garage, out into the streets, and they began shouting and proclaiming and yelling and telling all that had happened, all that they had seen, angel, baby, snuggly cloths and all. And people were amazed. That is, the people that they woke up were amazed at their shouting, their dancing, their joy. The shepherds eventually would make it back to their fields, unable to sleep, unable to stop praising God trying to remember all the chords and melodies and words to that angel's song, knowing deep down that they, nor anyone else who would ever hear the story, could ever be the same. The light of God had come into their little dark world. He was now here with us. The light 
that shone dark into their world suddenly and profoundly changed everything. You know, and I think the amazing thing about the Christmas story, you you look at everyone that was involved with that very first story, there's not a single character in the story where life didn't change for them. All the way down to the shepherds, everything changed for them. And that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, I believe leaves us in the same kind of posture. I think it puts us in a posture of asking that same question. How does that Christmas, how does that Christmas that happened 2,000 years ago that none of us were at, how does that Christmas change this Christmas for us? Like, how does what happened with those shepherds and the angel and Mary and Joseph and the manger and and the innkeeper, all of that, all of those wonderful stories that we've heard hundreds and hundreds of times, how does that story, how does that Christmas change this Christmas for us? You know, I uh, I have a group of girlfriends, and uh, we went to high school together, and we have a fun tradition uh, around Christmas time. Back when we were in high school, we started getting together every single Christmas, and after we went off to uh, school and college and that kind of thing, we said, let's keep off, let's keep up the tradition, and let's keep doing this. And so every single year, and I'm not going to tell you how many years this has been going on, um, <laughs> we get together for Christmas. And just a few weeks ago, they all came over to uh, to my house, and, uh, and there's us, we're we're sitting around and, and we have dinner together and we have a great time and we chat and we talk and we catch up and we talk about how we look just like we did at our graduation day. And, uh, and, and it's, it's awesome. I love these girls. They're some of my dearest, closest friends. And, uh, and we've been through life together and we know one another's stories and, and we know one another's history. And so it's so much fun to get together with old friends, right? And, you know, inevitably we start going around the circle and we start talking about, you know, about our last year because many of us don't see each other throughout the year. And so we, this, this last time that we got together, we started talking about, you know, what was the greatest thing that happened in this past year? And, you know, one girl spoke up. She had just had a baby a couple weeks before. And she said, you know, well, obviously, you know, I just had a baby. I sort of have to pick him as the best thing that happened. And, uh, you know, and then another girl was like, well, you know, we, we just bought this plot of land and we're going to build a home. And so they were really excited about that. And, and another one had finally found a new job. And so, you know, she was really excited about that. And another one of our girlfriends, you know, she had just gotten remarried. And so she was really happy about that. And, and I chimed in and said, you know, well, I moved back to Chicago. And so that was the thing that I was most happy about. And, and one of our friends, you know, she just sort of interrupted and she said, you know, I just, I just need to be really honest. I want to keep it really real. This year was terrible for me. In fact, if I could have a redo, I really would like it. It was a terrible year. And I'm hoping that everything about 2011 will be entirely different. There's not one thing that I really, really am grateful for in this last year. It was a really hard year for me. She was just keeping it real, and she was keeping it honest, and um, she had had some hard things with her job, and she had uh, had a child that had been really sick, and so it was a really hard year for her. And I think that probably many of us, uh, if we're really, really honest, when we get around with our friends and we're asked the question, you know, like, tell us the best thing that happened in this past year. Like, we, we want to pick and we want to think about the very best thing. We don't want to be the one that keeps it real, right? <laughs> we don't want to be the one that says, like, let me just tell you the truth. It was a hard year for me. But I think if we're all honest, there are probably things about our lives 
that we really wish were different. There are things about oh, what's happening that, that we wish we could bring some change to. I'm sure there have been things that you've so wanted to change in your life but haven't figured out how. Or maybe it's something that happened to you, something that you didn't go looking for, something that just sort of fell into your lap. And if you could have a big, fat do-over, you would, because that change that came into your life, it was not a welcome change. And you find yourself responding to it and reacting to it all the time. And it is not this thing that you wanted to come into your life. But everything changed because of that thing coming into your life. Or, or maybe it has to do with something that hasn't changed yet. Maybe it has to do with a relationship and you just keep you know, telling yourself, like, if I could just fix this relationship, if this, if this thing could get better, everything would change. Or if I just got a new job, or if I just got a job, you know, <laughs> or, or if I could just fix these finances, if these things would just change, then everything would be better. And we've all experienced this sort of desire for change, or we've probably experienced the effects of a change when something happens that maybe you didn't go looking for. And it's not that because Christmas, everything changes. It's that because of Jesus at Christmas, everything changes in our life. You know, we, we go through Christmas year after year after year, and we've probably all celebrated it year after year after year. And maybe life has sort of stayed the same year after year after year. But because of what Jesus did in the Christmas story, that is why everything can change. That is why life can be different. That is why our circumstances can shift. That's why our relationships can get better. That's why marriages can be repaired. That's why relationships that are broken where you think, I in a million years would never forgive that person. Jesus actually helps us do those things. It's because of what Jesus did in the Christmas story that we can actually experience change this Christmas. It's the, the power and, and the point of what Jeannie's talking about here. The power and the point of Christmas is, like she said, it's not that you can change anything, right? We'd all admit that after this last year. You, you can try all you want, but it's not that you can really change anything, but that because of God, everything actually can change. We believe that. We believe that your whole perspective, your, your outlook, the way that you approach life actually can change. It is possible. We base this church on that idea that growth is normal, that you are supposed to be growing and changing and being transformed. And you know, of all the writers in the Bible that, that got this really well, one of those is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he got this idea really, really well because he'd seen it firsthand. He wasn't there uh, when Jesus was born. He wasn't a firsthand witness to that. But his life was changed. Everything changed when he encountered the tr a transformational experience he had with Jesus uh, years later. His whole life literally got turned upside down, even got a new name out of the deal, right? So it, he writes and captures this idea really well that we can't change anything on our own, but because of God, it can it can change. We can change. And so this is coming out of the book of Romans, chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can read along in Romans, chapter 8. We'll put it up on the, on the screens for you, too, if you don't have one. Romans, chapter 8, Paul writes these words. And I'm reading this from a translation of the Bible called the Message Translation so that we might hear these words fresh and they might even go deeper into our souls. Romans 8, 1. Listen to what Paul says. 
He's talking about sort of the dilemma of a life outside a relationship with God. And sort of the frustration and like Jeannie's friend was just like, oh man, it's just hard. I feel like I keep hitting my head against the wall. And this is what he says. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma, that life, meaningless life or that frustrating life or that directionless life, that is actually resolved. That those who enter into this Christ being here for us thing, which is another way of saying the fact that because Jesus came to have relationship with us, we no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. Have you ever had a season like that in your life where it just feels like, man, it doesn't matter what I'm trying to do, which I'm trying to do right here, and it just feels like, man, there's just sort of this thing that always is working against me. For me, it usually comes out with the Christmas lights. All right, so he says, like, you don't have to live under that anymore, that there is actually a new power in operation, that there is something greater than you at work. The spirit of life in Christ is like a, it's like a strong wind and has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That's good, isn't it? Let me read that again. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That's what we believe. It, do, it doesn't have to be that way anymore because of Jesus. And this is what Paul writes. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He's not messing around. He didn't deal with the problem as something sort of remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God did not leave us at a distance, that God did not keep us far from him, but actually drew near to us and came in the form of this baby, Jesus. He entered into the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. That is the power and the point of Christmas. It's not that you and I can will change or anything to happen. It's that because of what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that things that we ultimately can change this Christmas. Hmm. And you know, maybe when you hear that, uh, if you were to pull back some of the layers of your life, and if you were to to look beneath the surface, and if you were to be honest, like, like my friend was honest around the circle. Maybe you were to say, you know, there, there are parts of my life that feel like a disordered mess. Um, I know there's parts of my life that feel that way. And, there, and there's parts of, of how you're living and, and parts of your life where you just go, oh, I, I, just, I just wish this could change. I just wish this was different. And maybe this is the Christmas Maybe the, this is the Christmas for you where you can allow Jesus to start to bring that change into your life. Maybe this is the Christmas where you can not just stand back and, and watch the story and observe it and, and hear it and say, you know, oh, that's so nice, you know, the shepherds and the angel and Mary and Joseph. But maybe you can actually enter into the story. And that Christmas that happened 2,000 years ago can be a part of changing this Christmas for you here and now. I mean, what if this was the Christmas for you where you experienced hope 
for the first time. Not just like the Hallmark greeting card kind of hope, but like the real hope where you know deep within that you are living from hope. Or, or what if this was the Christmas for the first time where you actually experienced peace? Where that anxiety or that stress or that pain or that broken relationship where there was resolve and you experienced peace? Or what if this was the Christmas where for the very first time you actually tasted You tasted what forgiveness really felt like. The forgiveness that comes from God and and even the forgiveness that you can extend to another person. You know, I don't know of any adult, I don't know of any adult that ever entered into a relationship with God or ever entered into a relationship with Jesus that had all the answers figured out. I don't know of anyone. And there probably is a part of you that's like, you have no idea. You have no idea, nice lady up there. (laughs) I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of fears. And you don't know my story. You don't know the things that have happened. You don't know the anxiety that I deal with. You don't know the messiness of my relationships. You don't know the stress that I carry around. And you're right. I don't. But I know that that baby 2,000 years ago that grew up to be a man and that died on a cross for you and for me, he does. I do know that. I do know that. And I know that because I have found that in a relationship with Jesus. And there might be a part of you that is wondering how you even got in here tonight. And you're like, oh, geez, my friend, like, begged me, actually paid me to come to church. It was like the final payoff, like, fine, I'll go. And you like, you're like, oh, at the end of this, they promised they would take me out for a really nice meal, and you, know, you should make them keep their promise. Um, but maybe beneath the surface, um, some of those questions that you have, some of those stresses or those anxieties or those tensions, maybe the best way to start to discover peace and hope and forgiveness is through exploring a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we are all about here as Soul City Church. That's our desire, that's our hope, that's our passion. That people would be transformed by a relationship with Jesus. The baby that was born 2,000 years ago, that that Christmas would actually change this Christmas for you. And so right now, I just want to pray for us, and I want to pray for you. And uh, if there's a a part of you that that desires to start to explore that, that desires to start to take a step like that, in a minute I'm going to pray for you. And um, and you and I can just have like a a code. You can just like look up at me. um, And I'll know to pray for you. Um, We're not going to do any old school like raise your hand altar call in here. Um, But I want to know. I want to be able to pray for you. Um, And so if you all would just pray for me. And in a moment... um, If you really would love for me to pray for you, um, I'm going to invite you to just look up at me for a moment, okay? God, we are so grateful for Christmas. Um, We're so grateful for how uh, just the entire globe sort of changes uh, its posture. And uh, and we stop and and we reflect and uh, we sing songs about you and um, we give gifts to people that we love. But God, we know that Christmas is so much more than just songs that we sing. 
It's so much more than traditions that we pull out of a plastic bin that we store 11 months out of the year. Christmas is about your son Jesus that was born in a manger and grew up to be a man and that longs to have a relationship with each of us. And so God, uh, I pray right now for my friends in this room that want to explore that. And if that's you in this room, I would just ask you to look up real quick and, and we'll just catch eye contact so that I can pray for you. God, I thank you for the different people in this room that are interested, that have questions, that are wondering about what this baby in a manger really means. And God, I pray right now that you, um, through your peace and through your love, through your grace and through your forgiveness, that you would remind them that it's not through any efforts on their own that they can find that peace, but that it's through your son Jesus that extends that. God, we're so grateful that you've given us a place like this where we can explore what it means to be in relationship with you. And I pray that you would help us to continue to do that. And I pray that for my friends in this room that have questions and that are interested in exploring that. I pray that this place would feel like home to them. We're so grateful for what you did that Christmas 2,000 years ago and how it changes this Christmas for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So obviously, as we, as we have said, um, this is our first Christmas. Not our first Christmas. We, we've been married for a while. Um, but this is Soul City's first Christmas. And so we thought, you know, we sort of have the opportunity to make our tradition as a church. And, and what are we going to do every year? How are we going to celebrate Christmas? And so we're going to do it two ways. And we want to invite you to be a part of this. Uh, uh, it has nothing to do with a dog that goes back and forth mm. and barks jingle bells. Um, uh, but but the, tr- the two traditions that we thought would be really cool to start is that we want to invite each of you um, to come up and to light a candle. Uh, I grew up and uh, I remember going to church and I remember going late at night and we used to have these candlelight services and I thought it was so cool to light a candle. It was like the one time in the year where I could hold fire. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> to play with fire. And, uh, and so we want to invite you actually to come to the front and, uh, and to take a candle uh, and to light it and uh, to just say a quick prayer and to, uh, and to think about what is that thing that, that you most long um, to have change in your life over this year and to invite Jesus to help you with that. Um, and so that's the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to each light a candle and so you can come up over here, over here and light one of those. Uh, and then the second thing that we're going to do is we're going to actually give you an opportunity to wish one another a Merry Christmas. And we're only eight weeks old uh, and, uh, and brand new, but uh, God is already starting to form some really cool friendships and some really cool relationships here. And so we want to uh, take an opportunity uh, to actually wish one another a Merry Christmas. And so uh, we sort of stole this 
uh, tradition a little bit from the church that we were a part of for a number of years, uh, Willow Creek, and, and they used to do this, and their pastor, uh, he had one rule. Uh, you could give hugs to people, but you couldn't give hugs to strangers. Um, that's just weird. Because that's weird. Um, yeah. And so it's we're going to follow that same uh, it's a good rule. Guideline. It's a good guideline. Yeah. And, you know, if, like, you're here on a first date, don't, like, say, like, I love you. Let's spend the rest of our it's lives creepy. together. It's that's weird. creepy, too. Don't uh, um, capitalize on this moment for that. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but we want to invite you to just um, to share in uh, the joy of Christmas and to wish those that you love and those that uh, you're growing in relationship with, wish them a Merry Christmas and tell them what you appreciate about that. And so we're going to sing a couple of songs together. The band's going to first lead us through one song, and then we're going to stand after that and sing. Um, So you can come up and light a candle, and then when you're done with that, uh, you can wish one another a Merry Christmas. Okay? Make sense? Yes. All right, good. All right, good. All right, excellent.